Thank you, and I as well have kept up that uh, pact or agreement or uh, whatever we would call it. I appreciate that very, very much uh, for sure. It's a privilege for me to be here this morning and to, to minister to you and to be on meals this week. Uh, it does take a lot of extra time, and sometimes we balk at it a little bit, but it's always good to sit with you folks and, and spend some time with you. I, I do want to say, this is entirely off the subject, but I do want to say while I have the opportunity in public to all of you that uh, I really appreciate uh, all of the Christmas decorations that the student council and all of you who helped uh, did this year. I think, I, I say this sincerely, I really do say this sincerely, I've been around this place, including when I was a student, I've been around this place for about 34 years, and I don't know as I've ever seen it decorated quite like this. So thank you uh, very, very much. It's very, very good. One other favor that I would ask of you is that if when the SEM team gets back tonight, Mr. McMahon, when they get back tonight, if you would please give them a hard time, because they told you they were going to Cherry Field on ministry, right? Is that what they told you? Well, I was in Bangor, my wife and I were in Bangor yesterday, and we walked into Macy's, not my favorite place. <laughs> we, we were into Dick's Sporting Goods before that. Um, we, we walked into Macy's, and who would be there but Mr. McMahon and the whole SEM team shopping at Macy's. So they told you they were going to Cherryfield and Ministry? I don't think so. <laughs> so... Uh, be sure and give them a hard time for me, please, and you can tell them who said that. That's fine. Turn to me, please, to Isaiah chapter 8, please. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9 this morning, particularly, of course, thinking of this great time of year, this wonderful season. This wonderful season because it's a wonderful Savior. When we think of Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, the scripture will come from Isaiah 8 and 9. I'm not going to read both chapters fully. But Isaiah 8, 10 to 18, please. And then Isaiah 9, 1 to 8. Isaiah 8, 10 to 18. So Isaiah 8, beginning at verse 10. If you'll follow with me, I'll read it. It goes this way. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me, Isaiah says, that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, as you know, there was a lot of turmoil at this point. We'll explain that a little later. In, in all of the land of Israel, uh, Isaiah is particularly um, a prophet to the southern nation of Judah. Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people say a confederacy? Neither fear, fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Now, verse 18 is very, very significant. Of course, all of them are, but this particularly for what we're going to talk about this morning. Isaiah says, behold, or, or uh, watch out now, look at this, take a look, look carefully. 
Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And then please, if you'll skip to chapter 9, we'll read the first eight verses of chapter 9. Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Lord sent a word unto Jacob and hath lighted upon Israel. Well, if you'll bear with me for a few moments, because uh, particularly upperclassmen probably have, in the study of the Old Testament, um, heard this little history lesson before, but we have to do this to lead into uh, what we want to say this morning, into what was going on in Israel and with Isaiah and with Judah at this particular point in the history of about 750 B.C. About 200 years before that, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and a family friend, Jeroboam, uh, were, became kings of the divided house or the divided nation of Israel. And Jeroboam became king of the northern kingdom, Rehoboam king of the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, and uh, were from time to time at odds with one another. But at this particular point in time, 200 years later, in about around 750 B.C. or so, uh, Assyria, who perhaps was uh, one of the greatest nations as far as at least war and, and power was concerned, had come down into northern Israel and had defeated that nation, had infiltrated that nation, had left many of their people there and taken other Jews captive and left other Jews there as well, and were now moving down south. And the land of Israel at this point in time was divided. You can roughly take, uh, put a mark uh, from east to west, just north of Jerusalem, right across the country, and that's the dividing line. And so the land of Assyria, along with some of their brother Jews, some of the southern kingdom's brother Jews, were putting forces together and moving south to overtake the southern part of the nation. And King Ahaz, who really was a pretty good king, a reasonably good and godly king, 
And it is at this point that Isaiah prophesies to Ahaz and to Judah and to the whole house of Israel and prophesies to them in the sense that God has much to say to them as far as what's going on in their land and as far as their future as a nation and as far as their responsibility uh, which to serve God. And one of the things that intrigues me about this passage more than anything else, of course, is a wonderful, and we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus, of course, because he prophesied here. But one of the things that intrigues me about this is it's not only a word, I believe, if we were to take it seriously, a word to the nations uh, of Israel and the surrounding nations, but a contemporary word to nations today. Because what I want to say to you is this. The answer today is still with the child. You see, back then, and uh, we didn't, uh, we'd had to read chapters 7, 8, and 9 to get the whole story here, but uh, Isaiah had been given two sons. He and his wife had been given at least two sons. And they were instructed to name them, and I get to read this because I want to get it right, to name one of them Meher Shalohazbaz. And if you're... uh, If you had met Mr. Hogue a few years ago when you were younger and uh, he was joking with you and he introduced himself, he very often, I've been with him a million times when he's done this, he would introduce himself to you as a young child. He would introduce himself to you and give his name as Meher Shalahazbaz. And it's interesting. It's interesting. And he's still doing it. But it's interesting to see the look on a young child's face. (laughs) when he introduces himself that way. Now, you and I are definitely not going to name our children Meher Shalohazbeth. But Isaiah was given that name for his second son for a reason. Because it means hurry, hurry to the spoil. And you and I know that the spoil in those days was what was accomplished in the riches that were inherited, should we say, or won by Uh, armies who overtook other countries and it was their right it was their right of course for Israel is whether or not God said they could but for most countries it was their right to take everything and plunder everything as they defeated that army and so this name Meher Shalhashbaz is significant to Israel because uh, it is a prediction of the fact that they would be were in danger of being overtaken. And then his first son, his name was Sheer Jashub, and I never heard anybody introduce themselves that way, and you probably won't name your kids that either, but that means a remnant shall return. And what we have here, and uh, actually this is my first point, I'm trying to hurry because um, I was... Uh, I have very little time to go here. Uh, But actually, my first point is this. Some observations on these passages is Isaiah's sons had names with prophetic meanings. And that's very important. Because sheer jashub means a remnant shall return. So while God was trying through Isaiah to prophesy some difficulty and destruction because of their sin and to warn them at the same time he was giving them this wonderful promise that there would be a remnant that would believe and a remnant that would return 
and establish the nation of Israel. And as Isaiah was given these two sons and the names of these sons, it was his responsibility to prophesy to Israel and to Ahaz and to any who would listen to prophesy to them that this was going to occur. And in it we not only see God's justice, but we see God's love and care for his people in telling them that there would be some who would believe and some who would return to the land. Well, we know, you and I know, that uh, many of the Old Testament prophecies had a near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. A near fulfillment and a distant fulfillment. And for the folks here, the near fulfillment was that they were in danger, but at the same time God was with them. In fact, at that point in time, a young lady who was soon to be married would have a child, and his name would be Emmanuel. And it was the close, the close fulfillment or the near fulfillment that that child's name, God is with us, would comfort Israel and help them to understand that God was still standing by them. And of course, that's a wonderful prophecy as well in the far fulfillment, isn't it? That indeed a virgin would have a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. You see, my point this morning is this, that there is always Emmanuel. There is always this wonderful, this wonderful truth that no matter what the situation or no matter what difficulty we get into, that Emmanuel is always there. That that wonderful promise is always there. That sheer Jashub is always there. You see, the answer is still in the child. The answer is still in the child. And when I think, and when I think of North America, and when I think of our two great nations, for you know that I'm an American, but when I think of our two great nations in all of North America, and I thought through this passage and was reading through this passage, I thought, my, this, now this is not profound, but here it comes from this passage. Our continent, and I know we stress missions here, and missions is generally cross-cultural, but I'll tell you what, our continent today as perhaps never before, because I've lived a few years on this continent. Our continent now, perhaps as never before, needs to understand the message that the answer is still in the child. Needs to hear it and needs to understand it. The pagan countries of Canada and the United States need to hear it perhaps as no other. That just like here, when Judah was in danger and when Samaria and Ephraim, the northern kingdom, had already fallen and Isaiah was given these children and given their names to prophesy to these, both of these nations actually, he could say, take a look at me and my children that are with me. 
they will on the one hand tell you that there's a problem. <laughs> on the other hand, they'll give you the answer. And my dear friends, this morning, you and I are responsible for taking that message and that answer to North America, land that needs the message of the child. My second observation, my first observation was Isaiah's sons had names with prophetic meaning. The second observation is this. The enemy will not stand or utterly conquer. The enemy will not stand or utterly conquer. If we had time this morning, we would go back through chapter 7 and chapter 8 and see that God had pronounced on the enemy that they would be doomed as well. Now for the moment, here's the interesting thing, for the moment they were victorious. For the moment, it seemed as if they were winning. And yet God says to Isaiah to, to be said to them, wait a minute, the enemy will not finally conquer. The enemy will not utterly conquer. I am still in control, he says. And when you and I as Christians look at our nations and look at the unsaved around us and look at our world and the way that it's going. It seems like they're winning, doesn't it? It seems like when we see things that come down from the highest of our political leaders that we don't agree with and things that are determined in our courts and things that are determined in our world and statements that are made, and laws that are passed, and the way our nations are acting today, doesn't it just seem like they're winning? But you know what we have to understand? We have to understand just a little something about this child, Emmanuel, and understand something about this child, Sheer Jashub and understand that the enemy, on the basis of what God says, and I believe him, on the basis of what God says, the enemy will not utterly conquer. May be in control, it seems, for a time, but it's only for a short time. Observation number three. <laughs> I guess I've probably already said it a few times, but I've got to say it again. Observation number three. Let's keep in mind, the Lord is on our side. The Lord is on our side. You see, that name Emmanuel as well. I don't think some, some people believe that this was the third son of Isaiah. I don't particularly believe that. But it was a young boy born at this time anyway, pointing, of course, ahead to Christ. This Emmanuel means God is with us. Look at verse 8. And he shall pass through Judah, he shall overflow and go over, he shall even reach to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. The end of verse 10, speak the word and it shall not stand, for God is with us. That's Emmanuel again. You see, if we're looking ahead now, fast forwarding uh, to the Lord Jesus and his coming, he also is called Emmanuel, and it means two things. God is with us means two things. It means the incarnation has taken place. It means that God has come down to man and now lives, was born and lives 
with man and is associated himself with mankind. But it also means that his presence is very secure as well. O Emmanuel, Isaiah says, O Emmanuel, for God is with us. You see, we must never forget that our Savior gave up the glories of heaven for a time, as we said in Philippians class, gave up just temporarily the use of some of his powers and perfections only for a moment to come down and live as a man so that he could identify with us and die for us. That's Emmanuel. And then his wonderful presence. We haven't got to it yet in Philippians, but in chapter 4, we're going to get the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with us. That's Emmanuel. We must never forget whether nationally or individually the name Emmanuel. Observation number four. The child is still the answer. The child is still the answer. The verses that we read in chapter 9 and verses particularly one, uh, particularly verse 2 through 8. The child is still the answer. You see, they have been told by Isaiah that they are in darkness, but that they will see a great light. You see, light is the only thing, we said the other day in class, light is the only thing that dispels darkness. And our world today is walking in darkness. It needs to be able to see the light. The Lord Jesus said, I am the light of the world and ye are the lights of the world. And this light dispels darkness and in verse 2 of Isaiah 9, overcomes death. And we know that, don't we? Because that's occurred in our lives who receive Christ. The child, you see, is still the answer. He's still the light of the world. And when we look at our world and it seems so dark and it seems so much in despair and it seems like there's absolutely no hope and will they ever come around to anything reasonable and sensible and biblical? Seems like that will never happen. And yet we need to understand that Jesus is still the light of the world. He still, when he comes in, dispels darkness. And he's, he has overcome death. Well, look at verse 3 of chapter 9. The child is still the, answer, is still the answer because he is the light. The child is still the answer because he is joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And when dividing the spoil, you see, he likens it to, uh, to the crops that they were taking in. And, of course, at that harvest time was the greatest of joy of the season, wasn't it? Because they were finally reaping all of the, from all of the hard work that they had done all the months before that. And the harvest was a time of rejoicing. And so he said the child is still the answer, not only because he is the light of the world, but he is pictured here as joy. Like a harvest time. And like winning a battle, you see what he says? And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Great rejoicing when a victory was won and, and they were able to take all of the spoils of war that belonged to them now because of their victory. 
Great joy in winning. How about you? But I, I like to win. There's great joy in winning, isn't there? And that's the kind of joy that he gives, like, like a winning team <laughs> and like a time of harvest. And then thirdly, the child is still the answer not only because he is the light and because he is joy, but he breaks oppression. He breaks oppression. You see it there, look in verse 4. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor is in the day of Midian. And while there was still confusion and still battle and still some victory by the enemy, yet at the same time, he is the one. This child, this savior, the one that was pictured in the names of Isaiah's children and the other child, this one still breaks oppression. I think of the verse in Proverbs chapter 14. And uh, it was actually a verse that I heard on the radio. And I don't know how many of you heard uh, Mr. Karen's interview a while ago. Um, the, uh, an interviewer called, actually called our office and said... Uh, he said, I can't find any conservative Republicans in Fredericton. Are there any up your way? And Miss Mead said, well, I have three, we have three of them on staff, Mr. Brooker, Mr. McMahon, and Mr. Karen. So she came to me and said, would you like to be interviewed on the radio about politics? And I said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have such strong views about what's going on in my country right now. It would probably be a good testimony for MBBI if I didn't get on the radio. But fortunately, Mr. Karen is far more calm and cool and even knowledgeable than I am when it comes to American politics. And some of you may have heard it, but he was interviewed. And this is a verse that he used. And I knew the verse before, but it's been buzzing through my head ever since I heard him say it. That is in Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And you know, that was true in Isaiah's day. And that is still true today because the child is the answer. And God is the answer. And righteousness for the nation is the answer. And righteousness for the individual is the answer. Because a verse I thought of when I heard about the election in the States was Psalm 106.15. He gave them the desires of their heart but sent leanness to their souls. That's the verse I thought of. Glad I didn't get on the radio and say that. But that's what happens sometimes with us, individually and nationally. But please keep in mind, the child is still the answer. And you're going to go out there, and I know you have already probably, but you're going to go out there and you're going to hear all sorts of answers. Boys, I tell you, you're going to hear some of these guys on TV, so-called preachers, and you're going to hear all kinds of stuff. But you know what our responsibility is? 
Our responsibility is to go out there, whether it's individually or as a nation. Our responsibility is to go out there and just proclaim to the world and proclaim to North America. You ready for it? The child is still the answer. Look what it says in chapter 9. Some verses that we read, beginning at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now we're looking, aren't we? We're looking at, at the future, the far fulfillment. It's a wonderful thing. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's the nations, isn't it? The government shall be upon his shoulder. Of course, referring to the millennium. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amazing, wonderful description of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the description, and that's observation number five, the description of this child, the description of the answer. He is a ruler and will be a ruler. As I said, we're particularly talking the millennium here, aren't we? But he is the ruler of the universe. Imagine the government upon his shoulder and the increase of his government and peace. Of that, there will be no end. And... Very quickly, my time is gone. He's called Wonderful. You, you know, I, I, uh, I really like this. I discovered this, that the word wonderful here means one who is distinguished from all others. <laughs> did you know that? You probably, maybe you knew that. But I was reminded again, I think I did uh, know that before as well, but, but I was reminded again one who is distinguished from all others. You know what Acts 4.12 tells us? That there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. He is very... I hesitate even to use the word because it's not descriptive enough, but he's very special. He's the only one that is like this, distinguished from all others. And then counselor, guide, advisor, you will teach me and instruct me in the way which I should go. The mighty God, that literally means a powerful champion or warrior, a victor. And then the everlasting father. We must never forget he is eternal deity, equal with God. And the prince of peace, the chief one who is a peace giver he's all those things and so much more if we had time we could go through there's a lot of stuff there that we could learn and see about our wonderful savior but i trust not only at this time of year but but at all times that you and i would remember that personally and individually in our lives the child is the answer do we remember that? Do we think about that? That's what this table is all about. To remember him consistently. And then even in relation to our nations as with Israel. That he's the answer as well. I trust that you and I will have a very real burden for those around us and for our nations. We're at a crucial I believe, okay? You think about it, make your own decision. But I believe that we're in a very, very crucial time in history, so crucial that I believe 
I've always believed in the imminent return of Christ in the rapture, but my, oh my. This is an amazing time to be alive in. It really is. And whether it's amazing or not, whatever's going on in our world or not, would you bear in mind, please, with the child is still hand? Emmanuel, that wonderful counselor someday on whom the whole government will rest. He's still the one. He's so, I trust, so important to us in our lives that we will be willing to tell others who the real answer is. That wonderful, wonderful child. God bless you.